when you think loyal to the soil, what comes to mind? Mm, trust in the process, man. Loyal to the soil. You know where you came from. When, when that pops up into my head, I, I start to think of the whole, and this is something we learned in college football too, yeah. water the bamboo. So where are you originally from, or are you from Vegas? Uh, I was born in Hawaii, and so I tell everybody that I relocated to the Ninth Island, because you know everybody says Las Vegas is the Ninth Island. So I moved out here when I was five. Or my, not me, my family moved out here. I didn't really have a choice. Um, so I've been here in Vegas for pretty much 40 years. You now you know how old I am. I went away to Reno for college, and then uh, when I graduated there, I left and went to California, which I started my career in the mortgage industry. Gotcha. And that's the podcast. <laughs> no. That's it? No, I'm just kidding. Done. But You're like smiling, so I don't know if there was something funny that was coming out of that. Well, no, it was, it was just funny because like, you just spin off. I'm like, oh, slow down, slow down, and then you're like going off. But no, I just, I just want to kind of reverse back. So why did your family move to... Las Vegas. So my mom's side is actually, they all moved here to, to Las Vegas. I think they all moved together, to be mm -hmm. very honest. And so my dad's side is still back in Hawaii. So we go see them all the time. I think it's just for opportunity. It's expensive to yeah. live in Hawaii. It's a lot cheaper to live here, huh? For sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, they're, majority of them live in California, but we moved out here. I think we're actually the only ones outside of like cousins that live here in Las Vegas. Um, but that's pretty much why. Like her... She had she has seven siblings, and so six of the seven siblings moved um, to California. So we moved to California, and then we moved to Vegas. Let me ask you this: People who grow up in Hawaii, what's kind of the? Is there like a common career path? Because you know, like you know, a lot of people that grow up in Michigan work for the Ford, you know, GM, like the, a lot of the car manufacturers. And there's kind of areas, you know, where there's almost a, a big trade out there. Is there anything like that in Hawaii? I think so. I mean, my family out there, I feel like a lot of them are. Um, like my uncle owns or owned a tire shop. My cousins out there, she's a realtor. Um, my aunt's a, a realtor. Actually, a couple of them. So I feel like they're more entrepreneurs, you know, and, they, and really when you go out there, outside of just being like in retail or whatever, that seems to be the big thing. They all own different types of businesses. Um, but I don't think there's anything like the bases out there, but that's military, you know. Mm -hmm. Majority of them were being transplanted or um, sent there because of the military. I don't think there's anything that transplants out. Like UH, I don't know that there's anything major that you come out of there doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it seems like, you know, a lot of people will leave, you know, to go come into the States to go to college and yeah. everything. Like a, a lot of kids I played football with and especially in, in St. George, um, you know, came directly from Hawaii over. So coming to Vegas and then so you grew up and went to school here and then mm -hmm. you said you went to UNR. What'd you go to study? 
Um, so I, you know, every Asian family wants you to be in the medical field. So I started off as pre-med. And as I told you before, I don't like blood. So I went down the path of two years in pre-med and decided that I didn't like blood and I hated chemistry. Um, then I thought I could be a nurse because that seems to be in the family as well. Um, but I just, I really did not like, I, I had no calling for it. And so I flipped midstream. It took me six years to graduate. And so that I graduated with a, a BS in finance. And, um, and then truthfully, I was like a new accounts rep in, um, at a bank. You know, that was like what you did in, when I worked and stuff as a part-time, uh, while I was going to school. <clears throat> and I don't even, I think, yeah, for me, I mean, I love being up there in Reno, but what called me out of Reno was my uncle. My uncle had, he was in the mortgage industry and I graduated and I was like, hey, I don't know what the, I'm not gonna be, the, brand, the bank manager was there for like her life. And I did not wanna be her, you know? So I was like, I gotta move out of here, get done, graduate, whatever. Um, and he's like, come into the mortgage industry, I'll teach you how to do it. So he lived in Southern California. He actually managed a branch, a mortgage company. And uh, he said, this is the thing I tell everybody. The one thing he told me was the mortgage industry, it is the easiest to make six figures and it is the hardest to make $30,000. So I'm like, well, I'm barely making $30,000 now. And I feel like it's you know hard. And if this is all I gotta live up to since I just graduated college, why not? So I moved down to California and left uh, Reno to gotcha. start my mortgage career. Gotcha. Let me, let me ask you one question because when you were talking about the college, did, you, did your parents or family have any expectations for you to go to college or did you just kind of on your own feel like that was the next step after high school? I don't know that they had, I think they always had expectations, but it wasn't like they graduated from college. My, my parents both owned um, a bakery here in Las Vegas, mm -hmm. a successful bakery that catered to, back in the days when the hotels were being built, they didn't have bakeries inside of the hotels. And so their bakery actually, they baked for all of the hotels, like all of the downtown hotels. That was their bread and butter. They mm -hmm. did everything, pies, bread, whatever. Um, but they, neither one of them, I think my mom went to college, but my dad never, I don't think she graduated. Um, my aunts and uncles, they, they did graduate. So I think it was somewhat of an expectation. And then for myself, I think it was just one of those things. Okay, I'm just gonna Let's go, go, to go for it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't really know. I didn't know what to do or wasn't going to manage their bakery for the rest of my life. You know, I lived in that bakery for a long time while I was growing up. Really? Yeah. My brother and I would, uh, the joke is that we would, we were their bread baker or bread baggers. So we would, because um, they bake at night, right? They bake from, my dad would go to work at 11 o'clock and literally go home like 11 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And so my mom would do the same thing. So we had a cot, like a, you know those cots that you, military cots, mm -hmm. style cots. My brother and I would sit inside of their little office, lay there, and then when we'd wake up in the morning, our job was to bag the bread. So we'd make all these bags of like dozen French breads, like, I don't even know what they're called, pumpernickel breads, all these things. That was our, our job. And then they'd get us up, get us over to school, or go home, take a shower, and then they take us to school. So that was your first ever job? 
I never got paid for it though. <laughs> so I don't know if you call it a job. You paid with yeah. the roof over your head, Slate. right? <laughs> true, 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 true. Yes, yeah, can't say that for sure. Did you have any other jobs um, through high school or college? In high school, I did. So I actually started working for them in high school. I was their delivery driver. Um, my boyfriend and I at the time, we would, that was like, you know, we get out of school at what, like two o'clock and they mm -hmm. have deliveries up until five. We deliver the wedding cakes to a lot of the chapels at the hotels. Um, I don't know if service merchandise, do you know what service merchandise? It's like a retail shop. That was like my first like non-family job. Uh, customer service, and I sucked at it. I don't even, I hated it. It was one of those things where, it's a weird store, so you'd go through and they'd have the items to pick, and you would just like write it down on a piece of paper, almost like, you know, at Costco or Sam's Club, and they have yeah. like the items inside the, the um, case. But this would be for like a camera, or um, it, a lot of it was electronics. I mean, back then it was like Sony Walkmans, you know, things that you probably don't know mm -hmm. of today. Um, and then it come out on this conveyor belt. So the person would go into this little, the little keyboard, plug it in, pay for it, and then it would come out like a warehouse on the little conveyor belt, and that, and I was there to call out the order and give them their stuff. That only lasted like three months. It wasn't Why? very good. Um, I don't know. I wasn't very good with that service industry. I was really shy when I was. I oh, so it wasn't like you were like rude to people or anything. It was just kind of introverted. Yeah, yeah, and I just I don't know. I just didn't like it. I didn't do very well there. Did you have any other jobs? Uh, I so I, when I went to college, I did. That was it for high school. It was my parents' bakery and then service merchandise. What what jobs did you have in high, uh, college? College, I worked at. Um, it was called CalFed. It was just a bank. So I started off as a teller and then moved my way into the new accounts and I worked oh I worked in at Wells Fargo in the vault I used to do the you know when the those Brinks armor trucks, trucks come through. yeah and they have the uh, bags of money and stuff I was one of the people that would do the money counts on them did you so, ever think about forging the money count and stealing <laughs> a couple dollars that's probably the most uh, compliant, which today Wells Fargo is still very compliant. That I, because I mean they have like videos just over you, and they like if you're off a penny, everybody goes through and counts and counts and counts. It's pretty, it's pretty legit in there. Awesome. So there yeah. was no opportunity. I'm not sure I'm that person that would do that either. Yeah. So, so you're saying like if even if there was a perfect opportunity, there's no way you would take it. No, I did always want to see if there was a way that I could just jump into the armored vehicle because, you know, they come in and it's all super secured. There's like two separate, uh, like, garages, so to speak. So you go through the first garage, they, they shut it down because of robberies, right? And then they open up the second panel and then they pull the, the, um, the truck in. And we never had an opportunity. They would put, they'd have the, um, what are those things called? Like the, the big crates that you'd put they put the money on pallets. and then pallets mm -hmm. yeah and then they'd wheel it into a area holding tank and then the door would shut and then the door would open for us so i'd always wonder like hey what if i just got stuck in that holding tank so to speak and there was no way out but to go into the actual garage area um but that was really the only mischievous thing i would think of to do yeah gotcha. <laughs> what what was it like seeing that much money i you know <clears throat> 
like in today's day and age, looking back at it, that's I didn't really think of it like that. Like you know, just thinking about how because that was thousands of dollars, but it was your job, so it was almost like you you had I had no money had no value to me because it was like paper. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like even if it was yeah, because thinking of it now that you've just said it, like that was thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars that we were all surrounded. There were like twelve of us that were always it was our shift and. We would just take it. We remember. I mean, I remember the you know some of the businesses that would come in there and drop off their money and stuff. And back then, money was like, you know, now it's like ATM cards and Venmo and yeah. Bitcoin and all that stuff. So yeah, I never really thought about it like that. But I, I really, I think at that point, money just was paper. Gotcha. Just kind of doing your job. Doing my job. Yep. Gotcha. So when you moved out to California and you started doing the mortgage thing, how was that at first? So. My, I trained with my uncle. Uh, he was really a great trainer. What he did was he um, he gave me, you know, those uh, new home books like the Home and Land, or I think here they're called, I think they're, they're called Home and Land. Like you advertise the homes that you have, listings you have, and it's at the grocery stores and things like that. So in, so I, he was in uh, Inland Empire. Do you know where that is, Riverside? Mm -hmm. So that when I started, it was Marina Valley was going through this major, uh, they were foreclosing. A lot of people from LA had bought these homes like Inland Empire because they were, you know, a quarter, uh, three quarters of the cost cheaper than homes in um, LA. Mm -hmm. And then they realized that that commute, even if it's 45 miles, was like a two to three hour commute each way. So those, so I grew up in the environment of foreclosures. So he threw that book, not literally threw it, but handed me the book and said, um, just dial for dollars. I'm like, what really? do you mean? He's like, call the realtors, tell them that you're a mortgage loan officer, and if you get somebody, then we'll go out and, and uh, we'll go meet the realtor. So I was like, all right, well, I don't know what else to do. And my uncle's successful. I mean, he was managing the branch. He did really well um, financially, and so I just started calling, and somebody actually said, yeah, I have a deal for you. And I'm like, what? Okay, where are you? So uh, Riverside, is, do you know where Hemet is in California? So Hemet is like way inland and in mm -hmm. like a very podunk area. Sorry for any of those of you who live out there, but a podunk area of California. And so I go out there so excited. I went by myself. He gives, he, I go to, to meet the realtor and he has this stack. So back in the days, you know, Files were like, well, probably like this, but this stack was like this. Um, and so he's like, this is the deal. I've had it with three different lenders. Uh, nobody can get it done. I'm like, oh. I'll get it done. So I take the whole thing. I didn't know anything about doing loans at all. Take the whole thing back. My aunt at the time was uh, our processor and my uncle was the um, manager. And I'm like, hey, I got this new file. Like, here it is. So he starts looking through it and um, He's like, well, what do you, what is it? I'm like, I don't know. There's some like major issues with the house. They can't get it closed because there are so many repairs. Um, but the buyer can qualify for FHA financing. And so we, we start looking at it in more uh, detail. And he's like, this is a great program for, or this is a great home for the 203K. Like the 203K, which is like a renovation loan for FHA buyers. So I did, my very first loan was a 203K. And it took, ultimately the buyer had to, through that program, they can fix certain things, which were the repairs that created them not to close on the home with mm -hmm. the other lenders. But we were able to do that loan program for them. And uh, I mean, like 
I think it took 60 days to get it closed because the buyer as well was a little challenged. Mm -hmm. But that was my first, my very first song was a 203K and I got it from dialing for dollars. Yeah. So was everything after that kind of easy? No. Or easier than that first loan? Uh, yeah, from a loan standpoint, yes. <clears throat> Business standpoint, I never heard back from that realtor, even though I saved the deal. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I then, how did I get to Countrywide? So I, I had like a few realtors. Remember back then, I was like extremely, much more shy than I am today, very introverted. And I didn't know what I was doing. So I, you know, outside of just calling people, um, I kind of got like tired of doing that and I wasn't getting a lot of response. So I found my way to Countrywide, who they had uh, a call center. And so the call center was in Pasadena. And um, I just basically sat on the phone and just originate files. And all, you know, the buyers that would come in and off of their call line, like quicken, so to speak. Those were the transactions that I that I did, so it was easier because then I didn't have to call these realtors. The transactions were just coming in, so I managed. I was literally just a call a concierge. I guess that's at a call center. Gotcha. So how long were you doing that with Countrywide? I was there for um, a year and a half, just a, almost years. Yeah, and then I. Um, and then I was brought to Vegas. Um, we opened, not we, but they opened up a, like a subsidiary of Countrywide called Rate One, very similar, but set up specifically for Vegas, not under the Countrywide name. Uh, so I took that position here and I came back home basically to Las Vegas. And so then I started my Vegas mortgage career. So it was about, yeah, two, almost three years after I started. And I came back to Vegas and basically did that. And then I found my way into rate one was the retail portion of KB Homes. Mm -hmm. um, and KB Homes has a mortgage company and uh, their own internal mortgage company. And so I was selected to be one of the loan officers to actually do the, the KB Homes mortgage uh, mortgages. And so I did that for two years. That's how I know a lot of the, the uh, sales agents here in Las Vegas. Because um, I, God, and KB was like one of the biggest builders here in town. There was a time when we were doing 10,000 units alone, closing 10,000 homes in a year here in Las Vegas. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so I worked my way up from a loan officer there to um, a, an operations manager. And I, I was there for like six years with KB. But that was probably my most... Like from a growth standpoint, like t taking myself from an originator to managing this team, that's when I realized I have this calling to be something like a, a leader to impact people in a different way. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Different than what it is today, where you, where I, ha I'm dealing with home buyers and things like that. Um, but that was probably my most. That was the most growth I've had as in just as an individual, more than than college. Mm -hmm. So would you say that's when you realized your calling, or are you thinking more recently reflecting back on that time to lead others? I wouldn't have known it then. I, I remember, um, so when I got into that, I forgot how we got, oh, so by default, really, I became an operations manager. Um, and I mean that because the manager at the time, she got sick, and so I was like one of the top producing myself and another girl, and she's, and 
the regional manager at the time was like, you guys should do it. I'm like, okay, I'll go ahead and do it. And I remember buying a John Maxwell book. I can't even remember the name of it, but that was like, well, if I'm gonna be a manager, I need to figure out how to lead. And I think it was like, you know, the 21 lead Laws of Leadership mm -hmm. or something by John Maxwell. So I read that book and I was like, all right, I'm gonna apply all of these things and these principles and this is how I'm going to lead this operations team or whatever. Um, and I never really, I don't really think I ever saw that as I'm a manager, like I'm a leader like I am today. Today I I know I impact people's lives and I, and I lead you know, people, my agents, my uh, buyers, my loan officers. I'm very aware of that. Before, I was just doing a job, you know. Really? Yeah. Did you struggle leading that team at all? Uh, I don't think so. I you know, would hope not. You know, a lot of them, <clears throat> a lot of the people that I work with then are still, like we're still close in the industry. Mm -hmm. um, that and I think to that everybody goes back to you know I I know that they would look at me with the highest respect just because I was I'm always I've always been a fair leader you know probably didn't know what I was doing but I always was hey I'm gonna fake it till I make it I did a really good job <laughs> I got recruited to multiple different um, management positions uh, leading from that and it you know just kind of took me to the next level from there but I think it was okay. Gotcha. So from KB Homes, how did you transition to Citywide, or was there kind of an in-between? There's a lot. There were, yeah. I, I've been in the industry 23 years. It's a long time. Right before you were even, when were you born? 96. Yes. That's my so, story. Because I'm, yeah, I'm 23. Yeah, so. yeah. So, um... So I was big into the builder world here in the real estate industry. Like I didn't know anything about, I, I knew realtors only because you brought the buyers into our transactions to buy the homes for the, for the builder. Um, I went from KB, which I, that was my longest tenure in the builder world and I was, I was promoted, or I was, back then headhunters were calling. So I got a headhunter call to go to Kimball Hill which there what, so what, what explain what a headhunter call is um, so different like we today we get a lot of recruiters that are calling in so this so he actually was looking specifically for uh, positions in a management level and so taking me almost as like an like a free agent I guess you could say and ultimately saying you know I'm gonna kind of throw your name out there and it wasn't because I was looking it was literally just because I think he, you know, for myself, he called in as a recruiting pitch, and I said, you know, I'm not really ready to leave, but this is what I'm doing. And then he connected me with Kimball Hill Financial, which was pretty much the same thing in managing their in-house mortgage company, but they were a private lender, so they were our private builder. They were much smaller, and then I, he called me again when uh, Lenar Homes, the Lenar Homes opportunity opened up, and that was. That was probably the toughest management position that I've ever had. Um, Why is that? So in the builder world, ca capturing business as the in-house mortgage company is a big deal, right? Like that, a lot of the president, division presidents and the company, because they're one and the same, having a high capture rate is more profit to the company. So everybody's kind of focused on that. And so when I walked into Lenar Homes, which at the time was um, Universal American Mortgage Company, their mortgage company, their capture rate was 
and their builder, the uh, division president, did not like the mortgage company. Um, the division sale, the sales manager, she had a she had a mortgage person who she absolutely adored, who obviously wasn't part of the mortgage company, and so it was really working up against that. And so when I left that company, we left. I left with ninety five percent capture rate, and those like that division sales manager, the the one who took her place, they're all very dear friends to me now. But before, oh my God, like yeah, talk the about uphill battle from the start. For, yes, and having to re. Um, I think the, the best, the one thing that I learned from that is um, service is something that you can't really, you can, and there's a difference in experience and then there's a difference in service and relationship building. I think a lot of people forget that everything is so transactional, especially in the builder world, right? It's like I have 400 units, we've got to close these 400 units. The background of all that and the people who make all of these big decisions are also people, and you have to build these great relationships with them, but as well, you have to perform. So the biggest thing for us, or for that company at the time, was they just couldn't perform. I had to hire a whole new staff um, of loan officers. I was, we built a different strategy around being in front of our sales agents all the time. Um, I assigned loan officers to communities rather than just having them do whatever they wanted to do, and then I set up a prequel hotline that each of us would manage, because on the flip side, I wanted my loan officers also to have some ability to have a life. Um, and because we were able to, I was able to build a relationship at the top, my loan officers build it at the bottom, we eventually just grew together and we had a great partnership. And that was that was probably the, the hardest lesson to learn, but the most rewarding because of taking the capture from 5% up to to 95 and when I left. It's exciting. That's awesome. That's a huge jump. Yeah, that was in a short period of time too. That was the most, probably the most fulfilling because even in that position, like across the country, I was paired with, um, I had a great regional manager who did, who supported me. I had great peers who also helped lift me as a, a leader. And then to come up against those types of, that type of odds, you know what I mean? It's, it's definitely something, uh, my whole team, like I tell everybody, you, this should be one of your proudest moments because it was really a hard thing for us to do, truly. Not an easy task. That's awesome. So from what I'm gathering is you've been in a leadership position the majority of your 23-year career, career, right? Yep. Yeah. I recently stepped away from management. Um, actually, it'll be four years, September 2015. So I was a regional manager with um, a company and I left them September 29th of 2015, and that's when I started my journey with Citywide. And I, I took, but as a loan officer, I was not, there was no intent for me to do what we have today. My goal was to go out and grow my own personal production, because what had happened was I was too, like I was, I was a manager here at, at the local level, and then I grew up to be a regional manager, so I grew, I mean, there was a point where we were closing $30 million a month from Arizona, Las Vegas, and Reno for, for this company. Um, but I got so far removed from the stuff that I love, which is this, like being here, meeting my clients, helping my realtors, helping my loan officers, and, and I lost the passion for the, the business. So I, um, I 
truly just walked away from that. I mean, I, that could have been, you know, national sales manager, maybe manager of a mortgage company down the road, um, or CPO. Uh, what do they call those? Um, what is a CEO? CEO is chief executive yeah, officer. Yeah, so a chief production officer for a mortgage company. Those are things in the beginning that I aspire to. And then when I realize what it's like to be that close to the top and how much you lose of why you're doing the business, uh, I made that decision and just said, I'm, I'm going to just get out there and originate. And I remember um, I was blessed with Citywide because they gave us an opportunity to try to work with Woodside Homes, which we had, which is a builder relationship. But we had, same thing, like really low capture. We were like one of three lenders. So I was like, all right, well, I'll just go and see if I can, you know, get a couple communities to, to work with me. I didn't close my first loan until January of 2016. My first year of like being my own originator again, I think I, we closed 60 loans. But I was in that first, well, so October, November, December, those first 90 days, like I was, I did exactly what I told my loan officers to do. And this is 100% retail, so I didn't have, I had the builder business side of it, but I also had to figure out a way to bridge gaps and become um, relevant with my realtor, right? My realtors. So every prequel I got, I would write a thank you card to the, my, to the clients. I would um, go in and, you know, walk into these real estate offices and asked to meet with you know realtors. Like I would target the 250 list, and um, I would just do the things that I told my loan officer to do. And I remember just sitting there in, I think it was November, and I'm like, man, I gotta close a loan. This sucks. Like if I don't close a loan, everybody's gonna be looking at me. We got a closing, like a, a deal that was falling apart with another lender. Uh, they called me up, and we got it closed in January. But Ever since making that shift from managing to truly just originating, I put all of the same basic principles in place, which is you know the personalizing every step, um, the po the cards to the eight to the buyers as well as to the agents, um, always being active in the community, um, and and really and then I was a nerd when it came to guidelines, like I studied on everything because. I know in the builder industry, if you you know if you're not the preferred lender, it's okay to be the backup lender because that's how you're going to get one deal, and you just need one deal to shine, to show a, a builder or a realtor that you're a good, you know, you're a good loan officer. Mm -hmm. So, I um, so yeah, that pretty much started the career back, I guess, backwards into my own personal production, and then I met Brandon in. Um, February, uh, I think they had their grand opening at Green Valley, and I, I had walked in there. I honestly wasn't even going to go. My girlfriend, who also was in the mortgage industry, we knew each other from. I know Brandon from WCR because I used to be chapter president of the Asian Real Estate Group, and he was while well, he was chapter president of WCR, and so we knew of each other, not anything other than that. So I went to his grand opening. Vanana was very helpful in setting up. I'd asked him if I could set up a meeting. She was also very uh, helpful in encouraging him to say yes. And um, pretty much the rest of history as far as that. We then, you know, like literally within a month, we set up a, um, I, the next day we set up a meeting. I had 
my corporate office come down here and meet with um, Brandon and Mike, and then 30 days later we were meeting all of the brokers, and here we are today. And so I couldn't service the uh, our agents, the signature agents, as well as I wanted to, and so it just we just slowly started to recruit loan officers. So my production, and then I I never really wanted to go backwards to become a manager, but um, it was just something to it was something we had to do in order for us to service this relationship. And now I'm just grateful to have done it because we have a good team of loan officers. We have a great partnership with with um, that real, with Signature Real Estate Group. So it's crazy how things kind of go full circle, but take you backwards and get you right back to where you are today. So do you almost think it's like a calling for you to be in a leadership position? I think so. I think I'm, you know, I think it, my hope is that when, when um, if you ask anybody, that they'll know that I have the ability to impact, motivate, mm -hmm. inspire, whatever. And I feel like that's even leading, even my daughter. You know, like, hey, you gotta do this, whatever, that's in some way leading. But I feel, I think because, um, I feel like I can do both now, that, you know, I can do my own self, I can do my production on my own, which gives me my own internal, like, satisfaction of my mm -hmm. why and still being close enough but then I can watch my team, my agents, um, grow, and I can help influence them in, in that way. So I would say, yeah, I, I do feel like, I don't know if you call it a calling, but I definitely feel like, you know, I, I have an ability to do that that not everybody does. And it's, it's semi-natural to me, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I would say, yeah. So where are you at now? What do you mean? Going forward. So, as far as the like my like your posi like your position um, now, um, like you like you touched on it, you know, being able to you know, you know still do the loans, but also look after the team <laughs> and everything. But where are you now, like going forward? So I have I have built a really good personal production team. I have um, a great assistant. I have two great assistants from a marketing standpoint and an operations standpoint. I have a great branch that fulfills all of our loans from a you know like an actual lending standpoint. Um, and then I have a great I have a great group of loan officers. So I would say I have really kind of put myself back into this leadership role, maybe more so than I had ever thought. But I really do enjoy this piece of it right now. I'm really enjoying that part where I have immense amount of impact on people, you know. And then I still, but I still don't want to be away from, I love talking to my customers. I love being able to um, be part of that experience for them. It, it's important for me. Even if it is just, hey, I'm just calling you up. I'm going to have, you know, Myra or Jennifer call you, get a little bit of um, information about who they are, pass them along and then I follow up with them once the, you know, the actual application has been completed. Um, and then I'm always there with them at the closing table because I still feel like that's, that is, that is really why I'm doing what I'm doing. And then the impact that I have with the team is just even, now has been completely different. After coming from Shield Maiden, a lot of different things have stacked up for me to be different. Yeah. Gotcha, speaking on the Shield Maiden, 
Um, we've touched about it a little before on the podcast. Um, actually, one of our guests, um, Lacey Colson, who you know, went through it. Um, so I want to hear your insights and takeaway from going through Shield Maiden. Whew, okay, so I need some tissue. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> I would, I, gosh, I think the, the biggest insight I would say is um, the five things that they go through is be open, the five or four, five things. Five. Be open, be present, don't hide, never give up, and all in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you travel to them and go through immersion, you will memorize those things and say those things daily. And I think in life, in general, whatever it is, like if it's going to the gym, if it's, I don't cook, but if it's going to a restaurant to eat, if it's spending time with your family, if it's, that is the one thing that uh, for me, I, I work to do all the time. It's to be open. Even this, I would not normally sit down with somebody because truly I don't, I, I don't like sharing my deepest, darkest secrets. Um, I'd much rather hear everybody else's and you know take it from there. But that would be the biggest insight, I would say, just in life in general. And for me, the, um, the, phys- the physical side, mm-hmm. it, it really wasn't like, you know, it wasn't, I'm not to say, not to say that I ever want to do planks or anything like that on command again. But I think for me, the physical side of it was um, easier than the emotional side because you you find out so many different things about yourself. Like you just, it's mind blowing. I mean, truthfully, I have done, um, I've done several different coaching platforms. I've done Building Champions, which is close. Um, I've done Tony Robbins. I paid, hundreds of thousands of dollars for it, like literally to continue it just to get me to the level that I'm at. And uh, the one thing that I, I have said is b- both of those platforms propelled me into my business, like it, from the management standpoint, excelled me into that position. But what it also did was pushed my family, my spiritual, my uh, relational side down. So um, where as Shield Maiden is, it is literally like four quadrants and you run all four, like from a car standpoint, four cylinders, you're running all cylinders at the same time. And to even understand how to do that, like in the beginning, I was like, God, this is like a lot. I do so much already. How the heck am I going to try to fit in taking, you know, lunch dates with my husband, uh, reading a Bible, meditating, all this other stuff. And I've been in it now 40 days and it's, it's just a lifestyle for me. And I know, you know, I'm just continuing to do what I do and I'm starting to see the results of the work that we put in, you know, like you're reaping what we're sowing. So um, I would say for anybody who does it, the number one thing is to be open because if you're in there for anything else but yourself, you will not get anything out of it. Yeah. And you're going to come out of it with so much more. It's, it's unbelievable. So why did you go to Shield Maiden? So with all of this stuff happening, like it, it was a lot happening at once. And I think, I think for me, I was looking for something because even when Satama came out in May, it was one of those things where I was like, you yeah, know, he's kind of cool, but I mean, he's not Tony Robbins. 
Like, I would never say that to him, but <laughs> now that this is on podcast, uh, and then I was like, well, you know, it is half, it is like half the cost of Tony Robbins, and maybe I need time for, maybe it's an opportunity for me to reset. That was really it. I mean, truthfully, when I went in, I was like, I'll just check it out. Like, literally, that was kind of my goal. Even, even in getting myself ready that day, like we talk about preparing for it, um, I was up to the last minute getting all my shoes, getting my clothes, getting everything ready, the arrangements for my daughter who's going to watch her, all that stuff. Because I was kind of like, this is just another one of those coaching platforms. So I didn't really have any expectation, if that makes any sense. Um, I know, I knew I needed to do something and like something had to change just in my business because I was, I'm, I was just like plateauing, mm-hmm. you know, in my physicality, I was plateauing. Um, actually I was going backwards. I was like trying to figure out why I couldn't maintain and stay on track and hated working out my marriage, same thing, just, you know, 16 years married and like starting to doubt why are we even here, you know? And so things like that just started to come together for me. So I was like, all right, well, this seems like it'd be something cool to, to try out. And if, if not for anything, I'll have a week off for my team, my family, and all that other stuff. Completely, completely changed my whole life from that. And so it kind of did it blindside you once you first got there? I would say yes, because I, like, I'm that nerd. I watched all the videos. I saw, like, all the different things I had to be prepared for from the physicality standpoint. I got myself into the gym, wanted to make sure I could carry a 40-pound sandbag. Uh, so I would work out, you know, doing that, like, around the gym. I just carry those 40-pound, whatever they're called, balls. Um, wall balls, I think. It seems like you were more physically prepared than emotionally prepared to go through that. Is that fair to say? 100%. Yeah, even going through the immersion side of it. Uh, so you go through that, you go through the nine principles, I think it is, and, mm-hmm. um, before you get there. And a lot of the principles resonated with me, but I didn't really understand like what the point was. Even, even in this Voxer group that they have, it was good to kind of hear whatever other people were saying only because I can kind of then, I, my thought was, well, I'll show up, there's 17, 19 of us, and at least I know what they look like and how they sound and some of the things that um, that they've been going through or whatever. So I and then going through the immersion side of it, I didn't expect it to be for me personally. So um, eye opening and so like I mean, you get to a point where you're some of the stuff that you're saying, you're like. When you listen back to it, you're like, what did I do? Who is this person? You know, and you don't realize those things coming out of those different principles. So I would say 100% it blindsided me. Just because I didn't know really what to prepare for or other than, eh, just going to hang out. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So do you believe that that's given you some clarity? Like, do you have any new goals or visions you want to achieve in your life? Or what, what do you want? For the future. Now I feel like you're Satema. Um, <laughs> so I yes, a hundred percent feel like, and in fact, the principle. What is it? Three. Clarity is power. Or four. that's four. Yeah, clarity is power. That's probably my my number one, my favorite principle is clarity is power. And it's, I remember actually talking through that on immersion or the underground, and. Um, 
you know, my, I was like, hey, the craziest thing about this is, you know, sometimes I hear these little voices in my head and, you know, even as simple as I'm driving down the road and I know I can go right or left and my head tells me to go left, but I go right, right? And then all of a sudden I get stuck in traffic or whatever. Today, I feel like in those exact same situations, I know that I have to go left. Do you know what I mean? And that's the clarity piece of it. And it's crazy. I was just talking to uh, my assistant about things that have lined up for me. Like, they have literally lined up without me even doing anything. And, and when you leave um, Manuel or Shield Maiden, you have this list of everything that you want. And so for me, um, it was my you know better marriage. It was uh, financially paying off, you know, being financially free. Um, spiritually, is was setting up for this small group and like for at church. And then physically, was uh, to get a six pack of abs. <laughs> so are you there yet? Uh, not yet. I'm working on it. Got a lot of people who are helping me out with that. But all of those different things that I have set out to do, I have, I'm, you know, we're at Benchmark four, four weeks into it, and I'm on target. So I have different goals, I think, than what I'd ever had, only because I now know more of what I want. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy, because I think that I'm a, pretty, I'm a pretty driven person even before Shield Maiden. I, I, all the leadership books, I read books all the time. Um, but the way that you apply them and the principles that guide them, so different. And, and for some people it resonates with them and for some people they're, you know, I'm sure they're like hogwash. But for me personally, 100% resonate with everything that was taught through, or that is going through Shield Baiting and Circle of Champions. So what do you want? What do I want? Well, I want to, I want to, uh, I want to be financially free. I truly mm-hmm. want to retire from this industry um, in five years. In and five years. In retirement for me means like I feel like I'm in the grind every single day. I hustle every single day. Like right after this, I'm going to an open house <clears throat> at one, which I have a little bit of time. But you know, I was here filming right before this, so. My day starts at like 4.30 and ends at like 9-ish every day. And it is like on the calendar nonstop. So at some point I wanna like take a step off the gas pedal, so to speak. I wanna build up a team that can allow me to do that, which I feel like I'm, I'm almost there. I'm not, um, and then I'll be able to spend more time. My daughter will be in college in four years. Right, so I'll, I'll have a house right next to her college, so that she can always come out and <laughs> spend time with me, um, or I, vice versa, whatever. I'm sure my husband would love that. But uh, at work, my, and then my husband and I will be able to to travel, but at a different pace than than today. If that makes any sense? Because mm-hmm. I mean, 23 years is a long time in a career, right? It is. Yeah. So you're right. And you have to set yourself up for that too. That would be the one thing I would say. You being in your, at your age, the number one thing that I look back on in life is like I started, I didn't start too late because it's never too late to start planning your retirement, but I started later in life. And if I had, if I had known what I knew when I turned 35-ish, um, I probably wouldn't even be here today. <laughs> I'd probably be, you know. So I would tell you that, figure out your finances and work towards whatever your finance goals are, 
and plan for, I don't want to say retirement, but plan for your future. Because when you're 40, if you start planning today, you'll be a millionaire before, before you get my old age. You're not old. <laughs> gotcha. Well, to kind of you know wrap up and come for full circle, one question I have for you is what would you tell um, somebody like yeah like your 20 your 20 year old self like so if anyone was watching and they're 20 years old and they don't know what to do or kind of what path to be on what would be the best piece of advice for you to give I don't know if I can give it out in in just one piece of advice but I will tell you that like my assistant today when I first when he first came on my team he was 22 22 uh, he's 24 today, and sitting down with him, like I, we prioritized his income. We talked about his 401k, talked about girls, I talked about, you know, relationships, I talked about dreams. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, the biggest thing for me was like goal setting for him. Like, listen, I, everybody comes into you, you're going to get the, the token interview question, like, what do you want to do in five years? But truly, like what you want to do in five years and how you get there are the things you have to do today. I'm extremely, I've always been extremely driven, but the goal setting piece of it, and I, I thought I was really um, great at goal setting, and I would put these, you know, everybody does their yearly, like New Year's resolutions. I always wrote down my top 10 goal items. Um, but I would say at a younger age, I wish I had somebody who sat me down, talked about these four areas of my life today, um, and number one being the financial aspect of it, because that drives everything, right? Your mm -hmm. finances well. So, and not to say that in relationships, it makes life easier if you are financially solid or solvent. Um, fitness side of it, you know, I, I think to me, you're going to be happy whether you're, it's going to be to each their own. Some people are going to love to be super fit. Some people are just going to love to be, you know, regular. Hopefully they're healthy. But the biggest thing for me is, is I wish I would have started my goal setting at a much younger age because I think I would have been much further along than I am today. I probably would have had the ability to retire when I was like 40 instead of 40, instead of 50. Gotcha. And enjoy life. And then I, I have one question now that you kind of led on before we started the podcast. Who is your biggest idol? Um, it depends on what category. Like, do you have a sports, basketball, Chicago Bulls? Yes, he's my yes, Michael Jordan. Um, and I just because he's a a legacy, and I hope to leave the world the way that he's left the that in the basketball. Um, arena, really, right? The world that he, the world of basketball. Mm -hmm. He is known to be the what you guys call it, goat. <laughs> is that what it's called? Yeah. Do you know what the, goat stands for? Yeah. What does it stand for? Greatest of all times. Yep. Yeah. Um, which I just learned. Really? <laughs> Actually, yes. I didn't understand because of the Golden Knights that they have the goat for Flurry. He's also my other favorite person, but. Uh, but Michael Jordan, for sure, has been my hero through growing up from college and and even still to to this day because of all the things that he's done in business and his li and in life and mm -hmm. things like that. Have you ever met him? 
I may have met him once. I'm not quite sure how that went down, but I, um, yes, I did meet him at a golf tournament in um, Lake Tahoe. And um, so I, I'm an extreme, extreme Michael Jordan fan. So I was waiting in line as he was passing by. I think his caddy and whatever were coming by. And um, I passed out. So I was ready to get an autograph, I passed out. I actually had, my little cousin was there and he took my paper or my book and handed it to Michael Jordan so he can get the, his autograph, but. So what happened when he woke up? He was gone. Like, uh -huh. it was literally like I fell backwards. <laughs> he brushed my elbow. So would that be called um, meeting him? Considered meeting him or? Yeah, well you got his I autograph. A, I didn't get an official like, hey, I'm Shirley Bates. You might have had a heart attack if he did that. Uh. Probably, <laughs> probably, yeah. It's crazy how stuff like that, where you get all superstar struck. Yeah, so I've never been a big guy to get um, starstruck. I'm like, always tell myself like, I don't know, I never wanted to be that guy to see someone famous in public, and not that I have a lot, especially being from Utah. It's not really, you don't really run into too many famous people unless you're up in Park City. Uh -huh. <clears throat> but I always tell myself like, you know, I'm not that guy. I don't want to be like, you know, bothering people for pictures, or, you know, if I caught someone. Um, I get that. And for the most part, I haven't been, but I had, speaking of the Satema event, when Steven Jackson came, I kind of like was like, oh, like palms got sweaty. He was like really? nervous and then <laughs> shake his hand and everything. Yeah, because I, he was someone I uh, watched all the time. And yeah. I loved, even though he didn't play for my favorite team, I, I loved watching him and I loved the way he played, you know, my favorite sport, which is football. Yeah. And so meeting him, I was like, oh my God, you know. Yeah. But, uh, that's funny because they're just normal people. For but. sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's the crazy part about it, right? You just, they're at this level for so many people and, you know, but then to be like at that level with him, mm -hmm. I didn't even know who Steven Jackson was. So like, I think your dad ha or um, Brandon had to explain who that was. I'm like, or actually I think it was Mike. Mike, Mike had said that that's, he's a football player and. Like okay. a. Like a Big time. Hall of Fame. All yeah. of the stuff. And I'm like, well, I probably need to shake his hand. <laughs> and he's like, you probably do. So, but I, I mean, that that's just in a, a world of our, they're in such a different place, right? Mm -hmm. and you think that they're so high level for. Yeah. And, and it's funny because, you know, me seeing someone like that in public is different from you seeing someone. But I think Michael Jordan is worldly recognized. I think even people who don't even know much about basketball see him, ah, that's Michael Jordan. Yeah. You know. Well, his shoes are kind of a big deal now. Exactly. I think in the, at that time, too, because I was in college, he was still, what was that, 20 years ago? He was, like, he was, I think he was still playing. Um, he was towards the tail end of his career. Yeah. With the Bulls. I think he did come back after baseball and play for Wizards? Yeah. Wizards. Yeah. But he, but, um... <clears throat> Yeah, I remember because he did three, he did two triples, right? They had, uh, they won the championship three times and then there was a break and then it was another three times that they mm -hmm. did it. And then I think that was his tail end. And then he went to play Wizards, North Carolina. Wasn't it North Carolina? That was his college. No, he played with the green, uh, oh, it was, yes. The Washington Wizards. 45, yes, yes. That's when he became 45. That's right. Mm -hmm. Don't know about him after he turned from the polls. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's up um, about it. I appreciate you coming on. If you're looking to get pre-qualified on a house, contact me and I'll get you in touch with Shelly.
Or if you're looking to grow your mortgage business, uh, please reach out to me. We've got uh, branches that we're looking to open across the country as well. And if you want to be um, impacted and led by somebody like me, which I hope that you do, please reach out to Tyson or myself. How do they reach out to you? You can call me at 702-499-3279. And again, um, like last week's episode too, we had someone give out their phone number. Only contact that phone number for the reason they give. Thank you so much for your support and watching and liking our videos. Please don't forget to subscribe and also follow our Facebook page, Loyal to the Soil Dash Podcast. Thank you very much. It's very much appreciated. Thank you.